everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode number 61. This is a podcast all about board games, tabletop games, card games, role-playing games, and things of that sort. I will be your host today. My name is Delton, and with me, as usual, is my lovely yellow player and lovely wife and uh, blue eyeshadow-wearing lady friend, Haley. Hi there. I'm a really need somebody to send me, like, a tutorial or, like, DM me a video on how to apply blue ash eyeshadow without looking like Mimi from the Drew Carey show because, man, I'm trying my damnedest and it's not turning out too good. I swear you said blue ash shadow. Blue uh, ash shadow. <laughs> blue ash shadow. Ash shadow. That's what we do on this podcast. Hell yeah, we do. We're also joined today by Delton's flannel shirt. We are also joined today by the first beer of the episode, being the Malthouse Games podcast. We drink beer. As we talk about the things that we enjoy about board games and card games and role-playing games and tabletop games. I think drinking within the first two minutes of the episode is the equivalent of drinking at 9.30 in the morning. I feel like it's better because it progresses the podcast faster, gets us going, and also gives us some like nectar to have to, I don't know, energy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like 9.30 a.m. drinking logic to me. <laughs> it's pretty much right. The first beer of this episode is... From Prairie Artisan Ales, which is here in Oklahoma, this is Phantasmagoria Double India Pale Ale. It is an 8% alcohol by volume. Blessed. And there is zero information about flavor profiles or anything like that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of drawings on that can, though. You should try to interpret the flavors and the profile based on the weird drawings on the can. So there's an angry skeleton in a hooded robe, driving what looks like a bus that's got an angry face and horns on top. Uh, I'm guessing that means it's a broke-down evil ice cream truck, so it's going to be a little bit of flavor based on ice cream, but, like, bad. I'm going to say it's a robust flavor that all your friends can enjoy. Robust flavor? Robust flavor that all your friends can enjoy because it's in a bus. There's a scary guy riding in a little car up some stairs, and there's a weird dog with wavy eyes coming out of a door that the handle is a snake. So I'm guessing that that, the aftertaste does not match the initial mouthfeel. I'm guessing not. And at the end, there's dynamite. So really talk about after effects. So that means it's going to leave a bitter taste, but a decent one. Sure. Shocking. Shocking. Explosive. Explosive. I meant to say explosion. Explosive. I promise we haven't been drinking already. Well, you have. I had one beer at like 3 o'clock while I was doing some editing. And it is also 7.30, y'all. And I did all my adulting before 2 o'clock today. It's a 7.30 on a Friday. I'm going to point that out. It is not Saturday night. Yeah, we're actually doing this more than 24 hours in advance. Go us. We should have a third beer this podcast in celebration. No. I won't do it because I have to edit tonight. <laughs> Delton skipped me on the beer. It was an accident. He did it on purpose and he won't share. I don't want to risk pouring more beer on the rug. It's like every other episode, there's beer <laughs> on the rug. Stand by. We have music for it now, so really it's okay. We do, but it's, I don't want to spill it still. So We plan for this. We allot for this. <laughs> it's called I mitigation. I don't allot for rug Dis- beer spillage. Disaster mitigation. I don't think that's a thing. It is. I have emergency management minor. You can trust me. That's fine. Anyway. The past two weeks since the last episode have been regular weeks for us for the most part. Uh, We did have a game night with all of my coworkers, so I told them I would say their names on the podcast. So, we went to Emily and Zach's house. Hi, Emily and Zach. And joining us there 
were Haley and Josh. Hi, Haley and Josh. Other Haley. Not this Haley. Not this Haley. Other Haley. Double Haley. Spelled the same. And Carly and Seth. Hi, Carly and Seth. So we all got to hang out, play some games. Code Names was the big game of the evening where I think we played four in a row. Delton and I are really good at giving clues. I was going to toot our own horn for a second there. We, we sure think so. I don't think they thought so. Uh, we, we got everyone to guess our <laughs> stuff. We are only one away. You guys were only one away from winning. That's true. If your people wouldn't have gotten both of your last clue, they wouldn't have been able to get that extra card. I'm good at what I do. I mean, I suppose I'll take it. How's your beer there, Delty Poo? Ooh, the beer's good. That's true. I haven't talked about it. So give it a sniff. It smells very good. It's, I mean, like I've always said with double IPAs, they're more balanced, so they're not so in-your-face hoppy. Ooh. It's got a, a, a ro- more robust flavor being a double IPA. It's a tangerine flavor. You ever had a tangerine? No. It's like really a sweeter orange. And so it has like that really good tangerine flavor. It's a sweeter, but it still has the citrus without being as in your face as like a grapefruit, which is what you're used to with like IPAs. It's really not as much in your face. It's a lot more balanced. It's smoother. Now, I will say I bought these beers on the way home from work. And they've been in the fridge, but they've only been in the fridge for like two hours. Which means they're honestly like the perfect drinking temp of like 50 degrees, 55. Uh, I think they say, is it 48 to like 52 is supposed to be prime beer drinking temp for a lot of them? I don't know, but if you could just make up a statistic and I'd agree with you. (laughs) I like it. I don't mind beers that aren't super, super frosty cold. Uh, It really does open up the flavor a bit. It's like when you get uh, whiskey just in a glass and you add an ice cube or like a splash of water, it opens up the flavors and it changes it. And I feel like beers that are a little warmer than just super, super cold do have an altered flavor in a good way. And you get to taste more of the true flavor of the beer versus tasting just cold. You know, it's, it's interesting, but I, I mean, I can drink a warm beer any day if it's a good beer. Like Bud Light. Not Bud Light. But we had a game day. Codenames was the winner. It was very fun. We had a lot of vegan food and snacks, which was delicious. What else has happened since our last episode? I've been planning Allison's bachelorette party. Oh, boy. Allison gets married in May. Woo! And tomorrow, Saturday, is her bachelorette party. We are going to go see Anastasia. Then we're going to go eat at a fancy restaurant. Then we're going to come home and get our gym jams on. We eat Sour Punch straws and Oreos and watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? We got the whole first season. If we haven't said it before, congrats to Allison for getting engaged and getting married in May. And Charlie for getting a new dad. And Charlie, her sweet little peanut of a dog. And Michael, too. Congratulations and, on to Michael on inheriting an Allison. Which means thank you to our Patreon backers, which are Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. Thank you all for backing us on Patreon, supporting us, and helping us keep the podcast quality as high as we logistically can. We appreciate you. We do. If you want to be like them and be shouted out on the podcast and, you know, different stuff like that, make sure to go to patreon.com slash malthousegames. So that's coming up this weekend. So this episode will release just after Allison's Bachelorette Party Night. We'll have lots to talk about when we get back. Allison's Bachelorette Party, going to Canada, recovering from Canada, all sorts of fun stuff. Yes, we go to Canada on Thursday the 12th. Thursday. And we're so excited to go for our five-year anniversary and just have a good time. So we will definitely have stories to tell from Canada and hopefully photos to share as well. And board games. And hopefully board games. Canadian board games. Speaking of not Canadian board games... Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. That was a horrible transition spot. 
Was it? Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> anyway, we're here. I didn't know where else we were going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> we were just kind of out of our banter topics. You know, what do you do? What do you do? You just make an awkward transition kind of roll with it. That's exactly what we're going to do because we're good at rolling with awkward transitions. Today's episode is all about, I guess today's game, is going to be all about classic card games. Now, this is something that a lot of people have grown up with, but it's using a standard 52-card deck of cards and playing a game. I think everybody at this point, I'm going to assume, maybe incorrectly, but assume everyone has played a card game using a classic deck of cards. I think it's something for a lot of us that we've just done as a kid. We've done so much that it's something easy to pull out and play with friends no matter what's happening. I always carried a deck of cards with me as a kid. And right now behind us on our board game shelf, I probably have a good 20 different decks of cards. And you still can't shuffle? I still can't shuffle. You're terrible. I mean, I never could shuffle, but I always had a deck of cards on me growing up. Whether it's Scooby-Doo cards, I had some Elvis cards, Yellow Submarine cards. They're pretty sweet. SpongeBob. SpongeBob cards. Even had a little SpongeBob figurine they could set up in. But I always had some in either my backpack or my purse or my car as I got older. Because in between classes... At marching band practice, uh, between you know songs at football games when we were playing a pet band, my friends and I would always play card games. That's just what we did. It's something that I didn't do nearly as much. Uh, I had some friends who liked to play different card games. I didn't play it too often. I think the one I enjoyed the most was blackjack. So with these card games that people play, there's a ton of different ones, and we wanted to mention several of them and talk about the ones we enjoyed and maybe give you a short explanation of a couple of them. Now, I will say, uh, if you're interested in some of the ones that can be considered better or a higher quality for the gamer mindset, um, Shut Up and Sit Down, who is a YouTube channel, podcast, things like that, they do have several videos of their favorite card games with a standard deck. So I do recommend checking that out. It's something that I have not yet watched much of. I've watched a little bit of only one of the videos because I don't play a lot of those card games, but it is something that if you enjoy it, then it would be worth looking into to see maybe there's something new that you'll fall in love with in those videos. So I definitely recommend checking that out. But as for our list, I'm going to just read them. And as we hit one, we know we can talk about it. That's nice and easy. So Go Fish is one a lot of people play as kids. Of course. Now, what are your rules for Go Fish? Because the more I've been a therapist and like I reward kids with like 10 minutes of game time at the end of session, the more that I've been a therapist and play with more kids, the more I realize those rules can vary, not just because it's a five-year-old explaining them to you. So that's something that we'll mention real quick before we get into the game and like more into some of these games, is that a lot of these card games have variants and house rules and methods of play that can be different from family to family, region to region, country to country, the hemisphere to hemisphere. I mean, there's games that we play here, they play in Europe, and they play in Asia or Russia or the Middle East or in Africa, and those rules are different depending on where you play it, but it's essentially the same game. Like, these are very culturally instilled in some areas, which I think is very interesting. You know, there's different variants of different things. So, like, in Go Fish, like, what, what rules did you grow up with? Uh, from what I can remember, it's been a minute since I played Go Fish. <laughs> you ask them if they have a number. If they don't, you go fish, you draw from the deck. So, do you ask everyone at the same time, or do you pick one person to ask? Honestly, I don't think I've played with more than two people. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't, like, we've never played this as a group. It was always, like, me and mom, because I was sick a lot as a kid. I stayed inside a lot as a kid, and I hung out with my mom a lot as a kid and as an adult. And we played games together, 
So when we played Go Fish, it was just me and her, and I think that was most of it. So I don't know that I've played with more than two. See, how I always played it growing up is that if you're playing with more than one person, you ask a specific person if they have X, Y, and Z. So Delton, do you have any sixes? And that way, if someone else in your little group hears that you're, I'm asking you for a card, let's say Allison's playing with us, she can then ask me her next turn for my sixes because she overheard that I have those. I played it with some kids where if you just ask it, everyone has to give you all the cards. I've also played it where you only have to get two cards to have a match down. I played where you have to have four cards to get a match down. And so there's so many different variations in Go Fish that I didn't even really realize. And then there's also like the five-year-old who's just like, I'm going to take five cards from the deck because it's my turn. I don't think that's how this works, but I'm just going to roll with it because that's what we do. I think ours was always a pair. Two cards can go down. So that way there's two pairs of each number or whatever. Uh, that's how we did it. And uh, since we've only played two player, I don't really know anything else past that. I'm really interested in this. Like, as we are talking about these, you guys feel free to tweet us about your favorite card games and talk about your rules. Like, if you play Go Fish and you played a completely different game, let us know. I also thought that Goldfish was Goldfish for like the first 15 years of my life. Totally. I thought it was Goldfish. And then someone's like, Goldfish. And I'm like, Goldfish. You're like, no, I want a Goldfish. It's Goldfish. <laughs> they're like, no, you have to go fishing. And I was like, oh, God. That like realization came way too yeah. late in life that it was Goldfish. Go you're, fishing. You're like, I learned that at today years old. That's <laughs> one of those. I was basically like 15. I was like, oh, my God. Nice. <laughs> All right, so the next one on the list is Crazy Eights. I played Crazy Eights. Don't remember a single thing about it. Nope. So we're going to move past that. Woo, Old Maid, one of the uh, classics. Old Maid is so insensitive. I have one copy that was like $2 at Walmart, and I was like, I got to have Old Maid for just uh, that sake of having Old Maid. Basically, you have a card of hands. You're trying to find not have the Old Maid and match up different people with professions, like a mailman and like a firefighter. Originally, it's like uh, partners. Oh, okay. And the old maid is someone who never gets a partner. If you're oh, left sad. with the one card that's left over, you're the old maid. You never get married. Oh, I've <laughs> I've always had I've always had the game that actually has a card that is the old maid, like the yeah. one I have here. I know yours are yeah. like match the mailman with the mailbox, match the police officer with his police dog. But no, it's matching partners with partners, and then. There you, you have the old maid. You have the spinster who's just, like, voting and shit. <laughs> Don't you use your grandma B-tone with me. All right. Uh, old maid, another very popular one with kids. Now, spoons, I've played a decent amount of. Spoons gets violent. Oh, God, it does. Spoons gets more violent when you're drinking. So you, you explain what spoons is, Delty. You take spoons. Wooden spoons, soup spoons, ladles. Really fun playing this with knives. No, we'll not do that ever. Playing this with spoons, you put those, you put one between, is it, no, sorry, you pile them up in the middle. All in the middle. Then what it is, is they start passing, do you start with any cards? You start with, you you pass the cards out evenly. And once you start getting pairs of four, you start laying them down, right? So you pass them in a chain. In a chain. Is it fours or, or is it just pairs? Might just be pairs. Um, I think you're trying to get four of a kind. Like you get four of a kind and then the first person to get rid of all of their cards in their hand, yeah. grabs a spoon, and then everybody else can grab a spoon. There is one less spoon than the number of players, and everybody starts with like two cards or three cards or something. Then somebody's drawing from the deck, picking to keep one of the cards. So if, you, if you're trying to have four cards, you'll draw a fifth, keep one of those five. Basically drafting. And pass it. Yeah, basically like, kind of like drafting. The first person to get a four of a kind grabs a spoon. You can do it sneakily or very obviously. 
and then everybody has to rush to get a spoon, and if you don't get it, you're out, and then it's kind of like musical chairs. You take one spoon away, the circle gets tighter. It gets violent. Oh my gosh, it gets so violent. I've seen people get hit with spoons, do some wrestling over a spoon. I once saw a priest cuss out a kid in a game of spoons. That's great. It was at church camp. Of course it was. I was 15. (laughs) Same year I learned it was go fish. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All right. Then you've got war. Now, I don't think, I think I've played war back in the day, but what is war? Do you know the rules? Absolutely nothing. Okay, so we don't know the rules to war. No, I mean, I was making a I, joke. I know that. I was ah, just going to move, I was gonna no, move on. No, war. You don't know war? No. Okay, so basically you split the deck in half or however many people are, are in the group. Okay. You split them to the deck that way. Everyone reveals one card at a time. Whichever card is highest gets all the cards. And so ace beats everything, king, queen, so on and so forth down the line. Yeah. If you ever get a match, let's say you and I place cards down, we both put down uh, two fours. We both put down a four. Then we make a stack of three, one, two, three. And we flip the top card over, and whoever has the highest card that way gets all eight of those cards. Okay. So, yeah, it's, that's war. So it's super luck. <laughs> it's super luck. A oh, man, is it fun. Okay, that makes sense. I guess one thing we should probably say is if you haven't played a game with a standard deck of cards, a standard deck of cards has four different suits. It has the cards numbered two through ten in order in that uh, value. Then above 10, you have jack, queen, king, and then you have an ace. And depending on the game, ace is either higher than the king or it's lower than the two. And some games, it uses it for both, depending on the game. And then there's usually two jokers. Not many games utilize those jokers. I figured I'd throw that in there in case somebody wasn't familiar with a standard deck of cards. You never know. I don't want to exclude people. We also have solitaire. Solitaire is a game about trying to mitigate luck. Grandma B always called it Old Saul. Old Saul? Old Saul. That's what I thought it was called because that's all Grandma, Grandma B would play that for hours. My gosh. Hours, hours. We'd get home from school and we the bus would drop us off at her house and she would have been playing Old Saul Solitaire for probably three or four hours in the afternoon. Jeez. I've played Solitaire a decent amount, but I'm really bad at it. I still don't get the strategy very well. I don't really think there is one. It's just basically if you have, it's leave your options open if you have the ability to. I mean, there's a little bit of a strategy, but yes, it's very, very heavily luck-based. What are you going to do? Uh, so Solitaire, obviously you play it by yourself. It's Solitaire. I don't know some of these. Bridge is very popular. I do not have a clue how to play. Our neighborhood association has a bridge club. No thanks. Uh, <laughs> I would rather play No Thanks, speaking of card games. Same with Pinochle. My grandma used to play Pinochle all the time, and I know yeah. I played it as a child. But I have no recollection of the rules. Euchre is the same way. People play Euchre all the time. I have no idea what, how to play it. But I remember our first year at Gen Con, there was a sign on the front of some bank, and they said, how good are we at card games or something? And it said, meaty Euchre. Ah, uh, I remember that. And it was really that. stupid. It was on that ghost tour, quote that unquote. That was great. Yeah, of Indianapolis. That was cheesy as hell. It was fantastic. Anyway, it was. Spades is one of the games, along with Hearts, Free Cell, and Solitaire, that come on most PCs. I have no clue how to play spades. I'm pretty sure it's a trick-taking style game. But there's a lot of trick-taking games people play with standard decks of cards. I tried to explain to Haley what trick-taking was. I can't really explain it well. It's essentially if you have a higher value card at the end of this chain, you win. Just like in war. But there is some strategy of what cards you hold back and what you use. But I don't really get it. Not really my cup of tea. I don't know. So, one... I don't know how to play Jim Rummy. I don't know how to play Cribbage. I know of both of those. But the one that I've played the most of, that I absolutely have always loved, 
goes by many names that seem to be insensitive, but two of which do not seem to be insensitive are Beggar My Neighbor and Slapjack. Slapjack. Essentially, the way this game is going to function is, so you split the deck evenly between all the players. One of the players draws from the top of their deck and puts it down fast. That way they can't see what they're placing in the middle of the table. Boom. The next player then does the same thing, and you go in order until there is either two cards. So if there's a jack down and somebody puts another jack down, you can slap it because they're touching, and you then take, so slap jack makes sense there, you then take all of those cards. The other big rule is if you put a jack down, somebody puts a 10, and then somebody puts a jack, and it makes a sandwich, you can slap that as well. That's how we played. The one rule that makes it complicated is if we're playing, and I put down a king. Haley now has three cards to play in hopes to hit a face value card or some kind of slapping scenario. So jacks are one extra, is one card that your next player gets to try with. Queen is two, jack, uh, king is three, ace is four. If I played a king and Haley plays three cards, none of which are, which are face cards and none of them are slap opportunities, then me, being the one who played before her, gets all of those cards. And you go around the table until one person has all the cards. We also did play that you can slap in if you're quick enough to take the deck to keep going, but you only get to slap in up to three times in a game. Absolutely love this game. It's hectic. It's fast. People end up jabbing each other's hands. Except Delton, he has the beached whale hand. I have the beached whale. I'm very slow, but when it hits, it hits hard. It hits real hard. It's like the whale that falls from the sky in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> I'm going to call this, though. It's a ground. Boom. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Very, very fun game. I recommend it a lot. It's just, I've always really, really enjoyed it. Um, But Slapjack or Beggar My Neighbor are the two uh, much more appropriate names for the game. And you can look it up on the internet, find the rules for that. But those are a lot of the games you can play with just a standard deck of cards. The biggest one that obviously we haven't spoken of is Poker. Yes. Five-card draw, seven-card draw, five-card stud, Texas Hold'em, Blackjack, probably a million other games. Uh, Poker is always a fantastic time. I've got to play with, like, Cullen and Hayden and Kyle and Andrew, and all of us playing poker. Kyle deals Blackjack so he knows what he's doing, and it's just, it's a great time to play with friends. We usually don't actually bet, but we bring poker chips and pretend like we're betting kind of thing, and it's just a good time. I like poker. Some people don't. It's understandable. I just like the fun little card games, and I'm really lucky in my job I get to play those still. Like, yeah. I, I really wish that, you know, you could still play those at work. You know, like you did, we used to play at work when I worked at the movie theater, whenever I was uh, working at the coffee shop. Everyone just had a deck of cards on them and you just play, and I feel like that doesn't really happen as much anymore. I know that's like my That's like my little old man rant, like, nobody plays card games anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, this was like, what, 2008, 9, 10? Everyone had a deck of cards and we were always playing cards. I feel like, I don't really see that, and it kind of makes me sad, but I still enjoy it. Yeah, it's kind of fallen off with the development of video games and cell phones. I feel like the younger generations move to that together rather than playing card games together like uh, the older generations. Are we really that old, or did like, Western Oklahoma just not progress as quickly and we still had card games in the 2010s? <sighs> Both. Okay. <laughs> but it is something that needs to be brought back. It's fun. Um, I guess I can't talk specifics most likely, but uh, you know, trick-taking games have variants and we got to play one that's in development somebody wants to publish that was very fun and it was something that felt like an old school game is based off an old school game but isn't that same game so even though these are classics there's still a lot more games in development that kind of match that style 
It's like you can you can appreciate these classic games that developers are still building on those styles so that future generations can play them. Maybe you need more than a deck of cards to play them, but still, it's the same concept. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So before we dig into the topic of this episode, we're going to open the second beer. This is from Rar and Sons Brewing Company out of Fort Worth, Texas, and we've had them before. This is the Angry Santa Spiced London Ale. It is another 8% alcohol by volume. On the side, it says it is a dark ale brewed with mulling spices, notes of vanilla, cinnamon, honey, and fresh gingerbread. It is rich and malty. Because this is probably the last of like the Christmas beers that they're trying to get rid of. Yeah, I think there's probably a reason why they're se- selling those by the single. I can smell the cinnamon ginger on this. This is a Christmas beer. It's definitely a Christmas beer, which is kind of weird to have in March. I mean, it does have Santa pooping into a chimney on the label. It really does, which makes Angry Santa even an even better name. That is a gingerbread cookie as a beer. That is a gingerbread cookie as a beer. Like, it doesn't even taste like a beer. It just tastes like a cookie. Seriously, the aftertaste wow. is the exact same as a gingerbread cookie. I'm really impressed. I was wanting dessert after this, but I think we kind of got it. Yeah, this might be a, a sweet enough dessert for tonight. That's wonderful. This is something you need to have at a Christmas party. It's got a smooth finish. I guess the last beer, we didn't talk about mouthfeel, but for me, it was smooth the whole way through, but it was nice and hearty as well. You know what I mean? We also did a really terrible job trying to guess the flavor of the beer based on the picture on the can. It didn't match at all. It did not match at all, but it's fine. That's That's a graphic design win for them, though. Yeah. And like artistry win. This is smooth. It's not too carbonated, even though I had way too much head in my glass, but it's really good. Really? It just tastes like a ginger snap. Or gingerbread. It's very delicious. It's super solid. I like that a lot. You don't even taste the alcohol in it, and it's really strange for a dark beer. What's the percentage on it? Eight. Wow. Yeah, you would not not be able to tell this is 8%. That is not good. That is very good, but that is not good. Well, that's a good beer. So that's Angry Santa from Rar and Sons. The first one was Phantasmagoria from Prairie Artisan Ales. Both of these are solid, I think. Seconded. So moving into the topic of this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about nostalgia in board games. Because I am not a very nostalgic person. And I am. And Haley is. I'm a very nostalgic person. So for her, nostalgia can sell games. For me, it cannot. And the reason I specify selling games is because there seems to be a thing going on in the game industry as well as a lot of other popular culture industries right now, which is focusing on using nostalgia as part of the marketing and sales tactics. Right. As a example, an example, you are seeing the resurgence of old characters and brands coming back. I mean, we just released a movie about Sonic the Hedgehog. Rugrats has not been on in any capacity since like 2004, whenever it had Rugrats, quote unquote, all grown up. Correct. Yet you can still buy Rugrats t-shirts at Target. Yep. And they're actually bringing Rugrats back where they're older and it's their kids. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. What? So there's something going on, and I honestly, I honestly think that part of this is the standard nuclear family model that is in the minds of a lot of the old traditional sides of America, which is a family gets together, and they have kids, and then they teach those kids things that they love. So when you watch Rugrats, but it's now their children, the parents get the nostalgic factor of having the Rugrats. The children get something new, but still get introduced to what the parents love. Guess it's like that, so Raven. You know, they did the reboot. Yes. It's stuff like that. It's, I mean, watching Sonic, the parents played Sonic on the video games. The kids are now seeing this cartoon movie and saying, ooh, I want to play that video game now. They're being indoctrinated. 
That's exactly it. I mean, they rebooted Ghostbusters. They brought back Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Transformers have come back. I mean, this is a really pessimistic view. Of it, but I mean, it's true. They're using it as, it as a marketing technique. It, and it's like, not like it's, it's not playing like they, on our feelings. It's not like they can't be good. I'm going to yeah. point that out immediately. It's not like some of these movies cannot be good. I'm not saying that I've enjoyed some of them or haven't enjoyed some of them, but it's not like they can't be great movies. It's not like they can't be great games, great TV shows, comic books, whatever. So in the game industry, right now we're seeing a resurgence of people using these IPs, these intellectual properties, uh, in their games. So, for example, Renegade Games has put out a uh, Power Ranger video game. Like, I was a big Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fan, original. Oh, hell yeah, brother. I watched to the next style of Ranger where they had the shapes on their mm -hmm. helmets where, like, the red one was a star and stuff like that. After that, I stopped. But they now have a Power Ranger game, and I think it sold pretty well. I was always the yellow Power Ranger. Which one were you? I really liked uh, the green one and the black one. Ooh, not the red one? No. I feel like everyone wanted to be the red Power Ranger. Yeah, but like the green one, was the green one had the sword or the black one had the sword at one point? I don't remember. Or maybe it was the white one. I don't know. Those were always cooler to me. I, I really enjoyed those. But that's something they used. And immediately it was like people were jumping on it. It's the same with they put out the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles board game that was miniatures. People jumped on it because they were big TMNT fans. Or the Buffy the Vampire Slayer one. The Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, Buffy, and I was talking about this with you earlier, Buffy is kind of something that, even though for some people it may be nostalgic, some people just enjoy that universe the way that I enjoy Supernatural. It's super cheesy. It's cheesy as shit. But I watched so much of it with my mom, and I've watched it by myself, and I've kept up for the most part. I'm behind several seasons now. But I've enjoyed that world, so I actually enjoy it. If you told me there's a Supernatural board game, I'm going to play the thing because I like that world. It's not right. that it feels nostalgic for me. It's just I enjoy the cheesy element of that show. Right. So there is that. But it is something that's happening right now. Uh, I mean, honestly, the resurgence of Marvel and all these superhero movies and all these superhero board games and card games and video games are the parents read the comics as kids, watched the cartoons as kids, and now their kids are getting introduced. The parents get to enjoy the movie. The kids are getting into it. And I feel like it's a way that it's it's just pushing these things on everybody, even though they can still be good. Oh, it's yeah. it's very peculiar. And but I think that's you know the nostalgia factor is why a lot of these old card games stay. Yes, to bring it around. Yeah. Yes. Like my my grandparents taught me a lot of these card games. My parents taught me a lot of these card games. I played them a lot with my friends. I will indoctrinate Lakin, my niece, one day. It is going to happen. Because those are the games that they're classics. You know, you can play them with a deck of cards. A deck of cards has been around for no, a couple hundred years of standard bicycle cards. And so they've been around. These aren't new. There's no like intellectual property or trademark on them. You just, these are the games that you play. And so there's that nostalgia factor whenever you're learning those games, you can pass them on easily. And that's exactly it. These games, it's not that they're themed nostalgic, but they feel it. It feels like you're sitting around with family and playing. Or right. it feels like you're sitting around with your friends again and playing these card games and just having a good time. Not worrying about anything, but playing the game. And I think that some games are going to start toward that side of the nostalgia factor. If you want a game to feel like something that people have been playing forever, you can do that now. You know, it's possible and there's going to be games come out that do that. But that is something with these games is it has that factor of this feels familiar and it's something I enjoyed and I want to teach to other people, you know. But it is another form of nostalgia that can be used and is being used in terms of, you know, selling games and marketing. 
hopefully that didn't sound too negative coming from me. <laughs> but I'm also, like I said, not a very nostalgic person. Right. Well, I mean, we can all agree that the the feeling, like, it's not necessarily I want you to like Rugrats or like Sonic because I liked it. It's the feeling that you get. It, like, awakens your inner child, awakens that joy and those feelings of connectivity that you want to share with others. And that's what these games invoke. It's not that they're being manipulative. I mean, corporations can be manipulative and play on our emotions all day long, play on our nostalgia. But it's whenever we're enjoying this nostalgia, it's that we are trying to evoke those emotions and share those with others to recreate those experiences. I could not say it better. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So moving into the question of the episode, after that big topic of me rambling and Haley coming in with smart things to say. Smart. This question comes from Allison, our own Patreon backer, friend, and fellow listener. Yay, Allison! Woo! So the question today is, what is one of your favorite TV show or movie characters? What would be their favorite board game, card game, whatever? I really liked Allison's answer. It's a very good one. Allison's answer. Do you want to say it or me to say it? You say it. All right. Allison's answer was Michael Scott from The Office, that his favorite game would be Twister because it's easy to learn. Nobody really wants to play it, but it's also slightly sexual. It's the perfect, perfect. Michael Scott answer. <laughs> she did a great job. I liked that. It's really, really good. It's a great description. And I've been trying to think of something today, and it's been very difficult. I have one. Go for it. Red Foreman from That 70s Show. What would be his favorite? His would be Twilight Struggle. He would always play the side of the United States because he'd want to kick some commie ass. I mean, that would make sense. He would like to kick some commie ass just like in Korea. So that is why you would always play the Russian side against him and you guys would be friends. Oh, yeah. And that would be your coffee shop game is a three-hour game of Twilight Struggle. Oh, man, that would be fantastic. Me and Red Foreman sharing a beer in Twilight Struggle. That'd be pretty yep, great. I dig it. That'd be pretty great. So for my answer, I'm going to go with Bobby Hill from King of the Hill. If you guys don't know, I love King of the Hill to death. Even though I grew up in a small, like very rural community in Oklahoma and a lot of stereotypes about country folk and quote unquote rednecks, they ring true there. Bobby Hill, King of the Hill is one of my favorite shows that I've watched throughout my life. Bobby Hill is amazing. He loves being in character and going over the top for stuff. So I think he would love Fiasco. And I think he would love Fiasco because it's something you could play several times in a day. It's something that you can play with very few people. So even if him and Con Jr. got together and they talked Joseph into playing, they would do it. I should oh. not remember these character <laughs> names. <laughs> I will be your candy man. I will be your candy man. <laughs> I love it. I love it way too much. Uh, oh, my goodness gracious. Yes. It's, uh, you can play with a smaller player count. You can play multiple sessions in a day, and you can get into character and have these dramatic scenes with each other, and he would absolutely love that. Yes, I for sure. 100% agree. It's just great. It's a great question. Thank you, Allison, for giving us that question to use because Woo! fantastic question. Fantastic. Uh, we need to come up with like a ton more characters. Like I was thinking about Kevin from The Office. Oh. I was trying to think of what Kevin's would be, and it would probably be Candyland, but the pieces would actually be Candy. Ooh, he wouldn't get very far. He wouldn't get very far, but it's okay. And so if you would also like to answer Allison's question, please tweet at us. Yes, at Malthouse Games on Twitter, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. And I honestly think that's going to wrap the episode up. So if you have a question like Allison did that you want us to answer on the show, a topic you want us to talk about, or a game that you would like us to look at to talk about on the show, 
You can always tweet at us at Malthouse Games on Twitter or email us contact at malthousegames.com. Look us up on all social media. You can find me myself at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That's at Squirrely Geek. We are going to be going to Canada next week, like we said, hopefully posting some photos and things like that. And after we come back from Canada, we'll make sure to be recording an episode, and that way we don't miss anything, miss any episodes in between, and you can hear all about the trip. The episode will be entirely in French because we're going to Quebec. That's not going to be accurate at all. Quebec. We are going to, you mean Quebec? Quebec. <laughs> oh, Letter Kenny, another good show. I think that's going to cover everything for this episode. Hopefully you learned something today, enjoyed what we did, or just... I don't know. Tolerated it. Tolerated us, which is how we do each other. As we narrate your drive <laughs> down I-235 to your 9 to 5. Wow. There's a lot of rhyming. I, I just I just did that all on top of my head. All, all on the top of your all head? The top, all off wow. the top of my head. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we need to end this now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and listening to episode 61 of the Malt House Games podcast. Please, 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 please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Since the new year has started, we are looking to kick those numbers up of our listens. Uh, Five-star reviews on iTunes are very helpful. Giving us a thumbs up is always helpful. And sharing this with friends that enjoy board games and just telling them, just give them a shot. That's all they want just a shot, and we'll take it. Have pity. Have pity on us, please. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.